my first instinct is to ask somebody how I can make their day better or to give somebody encouragement. And I know that's not automatic for, for others. But I just want to do what I can for my part in the world. Maybe help somebody think, maybe I need to think of them first. Maybe, maybe I need to not insert myself and let them say what they need. Reach out. Make it, make it warm and open for them to be able to do that to me. It's Uncommon Good, a podcast where we chat to ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Polly Reese. Fam, we got a big one for you. I bring you Erica Switzer. She is an educator, a stand-up comic, a native Chicagoan. I had the distinct privilege of meeting her while doing comedy on Zoom during the earlier parts of the lockdowns. I hope we get to meet in person someday. I do need to caution you. We've got a big content warning for this one. We get into bullying, sexual abuse, gang violence, suicidality, and there is some explicit language in this episode. So as always, if these things are not right for you to listen to, please feel free, switch this one off, and we will catch you in the next one. Moving on from there, we talk about so many different things. We talk about what it was like to do comedy abroad in person in mainland China and on the internet on Zoom, the differences and lessons learned, what it was like for her to teach English in mainland China, the art of the roast battle, one of her signature stylings of comedy, her takes on mentoring, what it was like to grow up in Chicago, and most importantly, the persistent determination of her creative spirit. Erica is amazing. I am so grateful that she carved out time to chat to us on the podcast. Please enjoy my chat to Erica Switzer. So I was catching up with um, your social media presence um, and um, was delighted to to read about your time spent in like third culture teaching English to French kids in China. Um, and as as a person who also has roots in that culture, but has barely spent any time in East Asia, could you tell me a little bit about what what East Asia was like for you? It was an amazing experience. To be fair, I had traveled to Shanghai and uh, parts of Thailand in 2008. Mm-hmm. So right when United started offering that nonstop direct flight to Shanghai, I was like, "Sign yeah. <laughs> And it was a it was a real eye opening experience because then 2008 there were still a lot of buses in the street. There were still people mm-hmm. walking like four rooms deep on mm-hmm. the sidewalk going to work about their day. And it was a lot more <laughs> industrious looking yes. in the streets. And then by the time I got there in 2016, it was like New York on steroids. It was <laughs> And I had always loved the fact that like the locals and a lot of the expats that I would meet were so down to earth that I kind of felt like I... It was like Chicago, you know, so that's why I used to make the joke I call sh- Chicago, you know, Shanghai Junior Junior. Because <laughs> we got a third of all the stuff that Shanghai's It was just, China's been so closed off to most of the Western world 
for yeah. ages and has just kind of opened their borders within the past 30 years, 40 years. So to have the kind of rapid development they had and to be able to see it with my own eyes in the span of eight years yeah. was so cool. And then to travel around and just experience Thailand, Indonesia, Mongolia, just amazing. I had just the best time. Have you noticed any lingering changes in either the content of your stand-up or the delivery from spending time over there? If anything, I always stay true to me, trying yes. to speak as close to my natural language as I would speak and my cadence. Yes. Sometimes it will work, sometimes it wouldn't. I have to slow down <laughs> and just really focus on the words, but... Uh, starting my comedy career there forced me to have to deal with international crafts. At any yeah. given time, we could have an audience that would be half local, three guys from the UK, four girls from Germany, a handful of Russian folks. So yeah. you're speaking English to a common denominator and trying to you know, hit that middle. And that was a great experience for me to get down to the funny and just enjoy uh, being able to make you know cultural specific jokes and stuff like that and really cool yeah i wouldn't ch i haven't changed anything I i'm raw i'm of course i cuss more and i'm raw here right you know i can't do a whole bunch of well, sex is a common denominator for the whole world so you know sure. make sex jokes over there but not nearly as out there as i am here. there was um you, so uh, one one of my favorite internet um, clips of you is you doing roast work, and I know that you're heading to a roast. You have another a roast tonight. Um, one of the comments that was made is that you have the delivery of um, just a very slow, gentle, like composed um, Maya Angelou doing a roast. Um, <laughs> Is that pacing? And it's not just it's not just your roast pacing, but it's your stand up too. Like your stand up is very patient. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how that delivery technique of stand up has been cultivated for you? Growing up in Maywood, Illinois, yeah. mostly black town west uh -huh. of Chicago, um, growing up poor. Yeah. I was a nerd. We didn't have nothing, but we had encyclopedias. We had dictionaries and we had yeah medical books and stuff. And I read those like crazy. I didn't care that I had a Nintendo when it came out. I didn't care I had that Atari <laughs> 2600. Let me know what the bomb radius is for a hydrogen bomb blast if it really does hit Chicago. Like, I was deep yeah. in the books. So I couldn't help standing out in school, standing out with my teachers, and then just being that kid. Uh -huh. So th it's just a way that I talk and the way that I carry myself. And I, that's me being pretty authentic. Just, you know, this is it. This is Erica. I'm not going to yeah. dumb it down too much if I don't have to. And I'm not going to talk <laughs> over folks' heads. Um, as far as the roasting thing goes, for me, part of the whole roasting should be, you should be, you shouldn't like want to, cut their necks off completely if yeah. you want to have a little bit of class and panache in there and I like saying poised and just saying hey I'm going to say this person's name 
for every joke, I'm going respect, <laughs> to respectfully call them by their name and then go ahead and demolish them. So it's, I just, that's just how I present. And I really appreciate how Keith Carey called me. Uh, <laughs> my angel yeah um, no Keith, Keith was great um, there there there's a certain there's a certain brutality to at least I, I've not had the privilege of, of doing roast work yet but there's a certain brutality to it um, when you can just sort of stand there deliver joke and then, like, watch the energy of the other person um, just sort of deflate. Or or my favorite when it comes to, like, that hyper-masculine energy, when people start talking even faster because they are, they are, um, they're, because they're just a little bit, like, decentered, and you've, you've struck just the right amount of nerve to where like they're either like rewriting a joke in their head and trying to improvise um or you've gone even like the one step further and you've struck that perfect amount of nerve um is there is there a way that joke writing for roasting feels different than joke writing for a conventional stand up set to you or or is it mostly the same process Again, growing up in Maywood, Illinois, roasting is a second language. Yeah. It is a necessary life skill. So my whole life I've been working on, now how am I going to address this person? Am I going to hit uh -huh. him up nicely? Am I going to hit him up meanly? I am trying to almost ether someone's soul in a room. <laughs> I don't want to fully vanquish my opponent. They're still yeah. a human being. I still got to perform shows with them. Uh, in the roasting, <laughs> you probably see me in recently. Those were my buddies. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. hard. Like the roast against Jeff. I'm like, oh, this is my brother. He's going to pick me up in a couple of hours. I, I need to ride back. I can't yeah. fully eat through this bank. Uh, you know, Kelvin, Kelvin is an amazing. <laughs> Kelvin, that guy, Gregory, is an amazing. Yes. Being out here, he's a badass. He gave me probably my toughest uh, competition yes. in roasting. Um, but it was so fun and dignified. It was still yeah. dignified for me. Even when he caught me off guard, I'm like, ooh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeff, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so I just went in for the fun. For me, it's got to yeah. be fun. Even if I got to be mean and nasty, I still want to be fun. So that's that's where I draw the line. Yeah. And it kind of applies to what I do in stand-up. I'm working on being even raw and more yeah. vulnerable in my yeah. stand-up. But that enables me to get on a roast date and just be like, I'm Teflon. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Tell me more about Maywood, would you? Um, are there any memories that that stand out as formative? Like, what, what I, I did a little bit of research. I could tell that, like, you're really close to Forest Park, so you have some green space. Um, uh, I, I know that there's a little bit of Frank Lloyd Wright culture around there, but but please tell me more. <sighs> Maywood, Maywood, Maywood. We're known for Loyola Medical Center, Loyola University Medical Center, which is a great uh, medical center in the Chicago area. We're known for Proviso East High School. Uh, great basketball teams year after year. Shannon Brown, D. Brown, 
all those great stars, Michael Finley, Doc Rivers, you know, and then there's me. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to come out swinging. Uh, the only other non-basketball famous people from Maywood I could think of would be John Prine, the folk singer who passed away years ago. He went to Proviso East with my dad. It was awesome. And uh, I always forget her name, but she was one of the co-founders of BET. So knowing that these people came from Maywood, coming from a poor, mostly black, impoverished area, um, it was it was difficult. It's like, here's Maywood, here's River Forest, which is old money, beautiful old money, and that's probably where there's some of the Frank Lloyd right uh, between River Forest and Oak Park, and then Chicago. So we're almost like an extension of the west side of Chicago just set apart by a few suburbs. Um, and so it was hard. I was bullied a lot because of being smart. I wound up going to gifted programs um, and kind of finding my tribe there. And then going to Proviso East, I was back to being bullied. So again, that's where the roasting and knowing how to fend for yourself verbally before anything gets deeper um, was necessary for me. So I was determined to not let my upbringing and my surroundings determine who I was because I never, I didn't, there were a lot of times where I didn't feel like I belonged. I would wake up on Saturday mornings and watch Shut Your Heart with my mom, the Bollywood video clip show. And we'd watch sumo wrestling and we'd watch Korean soap operas. And so I have a very... Music videos were still hot in the late 80s, early 90s. I watched all them joints. Every Madonna video when it came out, every Prince video, even though my mom tried to cover my eyes. Um, every Michael Jackson video back in the day when they had to preempt The Simpsons because it was that big. Michael was the stuff. That was me. I loved that. And then I needed to be around kids that loved that too. And I got a chance to do that by going to an accelerated high school. Um, so as much as I love Maywood, I'm, I mean, I'm from there. I was born at Loyola Medical Center. You can't take that away from me, but I want to represent it on a scale that people haven't seen before and be able to get on stages in New York, I've gone on stage in LA and talked about being from Maywood. I'm, I'm here to represent. There, there's a piece in that, that, um, that, that is such a, a, a resonance among like a, a lot of a lot of like our our past and present guests of the show that like the choice to the choice to not to to end like the 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 patterns of violence and trauma and and things like choosing choosing to interrupt that cycle um i'm just so um I'm so grateful, number one, like that 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 is a choice um that you made. Um and grateful to to get to have experienced your comedy. Um and and what what little I I've had the privilege of connecting with you like as a as a person. Um um from like the the pandemic like we're 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 zoom pandemic com comedy friends um so 
first i'll just say thanks um yeah thank you uh yeah what is the is is there I'm, I'm wondering if we can sort of like dig into this this notion of like ending the cycle a little bit more this is because this is this is something that that is like a project of this of this podcast um and you turned it you turned it into art and in, into comedy into um and in, into education as well um are there on the micro level are there particular like daily choices or tricks of just the sort of like daily decision of this is a decision that I'm making. I'm, I'm choosing, I'm choosing art and vitality and beauty um, over the, the cynicism of brute violence. Um, the boring, the boring things of making that decision. Are there things that come to mind that help you, move in the that direction as opposed to the that that cycle yeah by the time i was 14 15 and nerding out um and stuck with going to proviso east before going to the auxiliary at high school uh, in spite of being in honors classes and looking at the the roll call of students and being second out of like 640 kids there was still the good possibility that I was going to be jumped or raped into a gang there is still the possibility of I'm hanging around this kid that knows this kid and that's trouble there was this woke time I got beat down by a girl from around the block who was gang affiliated and all that had a knot on my head fighting over a boy I was not going to continue down that path it was threatening me physically. It was threatening me so, you know, mentally. It was threatening me emotionally. I got to the point where, um, you know, even though we had honors classes, we had a mixed class and health class. So I'm here with some of the, you know, the truant students, the students that only show up once every quarter to mess with me and the other boy in class who was my close friend. And I got to a point, they bullied me so bad. they. The, the movie Congo was out. The movie Congo was out and the teacher played it. And there was a girl and her whole crew behind me the entire time throwing coins and candy at me and the other guy and say, hey, look, that's you on the screen. You know, and it was devastating. And I, unfortunately or fortunately, tried to take a half a bottle of aspirin because I couldn't take it any. I thought, I'm getting great grades. I'm on the math team. There's still this little boy that wants to sneak me behind the, the, the bleachers for lunch, but something's got to give. I can't live like this. And so I was able to, you know, thank God for being intelligent enough and, and taking all the tests and getting the recommendations from my teachers that were like, go, please go. This place is not for you. And I'm here, thank God. And um, so, you know, the choice, well, I mean, when you already have physical, mental, emotional threats, 
from all sides and you don't feel protected or you're telling your parents, hey, this stuff's going on and I don't like it here. And they're like, oh, we're sorry, baby. We just wanted you to go for that first year and experience it. And it's like, but I had the opportunity to not, and I'm suffering. So I've been able to, to take, I'm, I'm still working on a way to take a lot of that pain and suffering and put it into material. Uh, with being gone in China for four years, uh, before that I was married for five, uh, living in Colorado. So I've been gone from here for a long time. But when I came back, I started visiting some of those places, ran past drove past my old house, uh, went past Proviso East in some of those places, and some of those memories and feelings started coming back. So even though it was jarring, I'm, I, I'm armored, <laughs> you know, with my knowledge now, with my peace of mind now, with centering myself and taking care of myself in spite of, you know, divorce and travel, everything, and just looking back and saying, I'm going to take something and make it beautiful. And I'm going to share it with the world because they need to know. There were kids I had in Shanghai that were being bullied. Moroccan kids that didn't look like everybody else. Facing, oh, they call me a terrorist and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to have that. I'm going to, which one? Which one told you that? That one? All right, I'll be right back. Took that kid out to the hallway and said, we're not doing it. How would you feel if you were in her shoes? You know, so I'm, I want to do what I can to inspire not just young people, but people to really think about things like that and have more compassion and be more empathetic. There's a thing there that compassion, empathy is not the first instinct, right? The first instinct is, here's a thing I've seen that I probably know is not true about this person, that I certainly know is not true about, broadly speaking, this identity, but it, but I don't choose the thing of compassion and empathy when I could. I, I have the opportunity to make a conscious decision to not choose compassion and empathy. Ponder with me a little bit. What do you think, why do you think people choose the opposite of compassion and empathy. There's part of me that wants to say that's the period we're in. That's the way the world looks for everybody. Everybody's first concern is themselves. Getting themselves through the day, taking care of themselves, and then hopefully next step is taking care of their family. But there should also be a half, I mean, in, in spite of this rush rush world, where people's focuses are tested and all these things are available. It's like, hey, think about this other person next to you. This is another human being with hopes and dreams and goals and fears just like you. And we don't know what people are going through. Sometimes my resting bitch face is on heavy, but I'm deep in yeah. thought. I'm happy as hell on the inside. Yeah. I'm beaming. I'm joyful. I woke up. Yeah. Bills is paid. Clothes on my back. Shoes on my feet. Yeah. But, you know, I, I always try to, if I see somebody else that's also looking like that, hey, I have a heart. I want to investigate. Hey, how you doing? What can I do to help? My first, my first instinct is to ask somebody how I can make their day better. 
or to give somebody encouragement. And I know that's not automatic for, for others, but I just want to do what I can for my part in the world to maybe help somebody think, maybe I need to think of them first. Maybe, maybe I need to not insert myself and let them say what they need, reach out, make it, make it warm and open for them to be able to do that to me. Because I think in this world where everybody's so glued to these things, and sometimes forgets how to function in life without them. We're also forgetting how to function as human beings with other human beings. And being over in Shanghai reminded me of that so heavily. Because, first of all, you're thrust into the Middle Kingdom. 1.4 billion Chinese. You don't look like them. You don't sound like them didn't come from similar situations. You're living there. So of course the automatic reach out to the other expats. Hey, how you doing? Hey, nice to see. You. All right. If you know, there's an avenue for that. But I would see other yeah. black folks in, in Asia, because we're there, people. We're there. <laughs> at one point there is at least three hundred thousand Africans in Guangzhou alone. Uh. And they're mostly there for education. Uh. And I'll let everybody else who's watching and listening go do their own Google research to find out. But when we see each other over there, it's the automatic nods. The automatic nod. The nod and smile for the most part because it's like, hey, we out here. How you doing? Yeah. But just even just greeting somebody. Like, we don't even do that. So, let's, you know, this spring back... Reaching out to other people. We, if anything, the pandemic has taught us in the past three years plus. We need each other. We have the pleasure of being on the call today because of the our 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 perspectives being changed from Zoom, like from doing Zoom and Zoom comedy and Zoom gaming, etc. Communications. The thing that strikes me. Um, both of us have have like it, it's a it's a Sunday it's a three day weekend. Both of us have like a a solid um, show slate today. Like I'm you you, ha you have more gigs. I have <laughs> more gigs. Um, I'm struck by the fact that how we were forced to slow down, and now. I don't, I don't know. Like, I certainly feel the tension to get back into things as quickly as possible or like whatever, whatever, like normal life might be. I don't have a question. I'm that it's just something I noticed from, from, um, what you're identifying. I wonder if, I wonder if, if in this case, um, speed is the enemy of the good. Is that possible? Being in China taught me a lot about efficiency. Be speedy, but be efficient. Be competent in what you're doing. Get it done quickly. <laughs> um, otherwise, speed kills. So, I mean, there's a lot of things in 2023 that a normal cultural critic can sit back and, and say, ah, oh, no, nah, we're screwing up. We're not doing this thing right anymore. And speed would be one of those factors. Rushing out to produce something. Rushing, you know, don't, 
Don't rush. Speed is... Speed isn't always good. Quality is always going to beat out speed. Always. And we can tell. <laughs> Consumers, you know, audiences, we can tell. So even though the world is saying, rush, 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 take your time. Let that thing cook. To that end, how many iterations of a joke do you tend to work through before you get to the point where you're like, yeah, this is probably good. This feels feels like it's ready. It's ready to be in its mostly final form. I'm one of those comics that's always thinking about ways to tag and present older material. So even though I put more clips out recently, partially that was because I was sitting on two years worth of material and not caring to go back and watch and listen to myself. <laughs> in spite of having to do that repeatedly with voiceovers and podcasts and stuff. Um, but it's also material that's older that I'm looking to either workshop and expand or it's kind of evergreen for me. Those are jokes that I've been working on for three, four years. In China, wow, come over here and they get extra iterations. The finna joke becomes finna and goofy because we're in Chicago, so feel goofy. And I'm teaching the kids, go. So, you know, stuff like that at least three or four iterations before I even put it on stage. And then from there, it could grow. Because one of the things that I, I'm finding myself doing a lot more uh -huh. since I've been performing regularly in Chicago and all over the place for the past couple years is yeah, letting that magic happen. Having, saving some room for the audience magic. You know, because I'm there for that audience. I'm there for yeah. the reactions and responses. And if this yeah. one girl likes that joke a little bit too much, we talk. And I'm going to find something <laughs> out. And that might come up in the next bit. I just started doing a newer bit about taking it back to being six and talking about video stores. And um, mm -hmm. a guy in the audience came up to me after the show and said, you know what? Your set was so great. I... I Kind of think that the video store guy in Berkeley is my dad. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm at. I'm not so married to the material. I love the material, but I want to yeah. see how it flourishes room to room and play with it and have fun. What are what are the crowds like these days? Like as we're we're taping in mid January 2023, as things are reopening, how do they how do they tend to feel? I think crowds in Chicago are so excited. Yeah. Crowds at the Lincoln Lodge at Laugh Factory are ready to yeah. laugh. They come in ready. Um, and people missed not being able to have it because we had so many pause and unpause moments, you know, while the pandemic was happening. Like, hey, let's do some open mics. Oh, no, county said we got to close indeterminately. Oh, no, we can do some more. Hey, we got to close. So, you know, in that, in that wait, it was like, yo, what's going to happen? But the crowds have been so responsive mm. and so happy to be there. And, and yeah. when I did the Black Women in Comedy Laugh Fest in New York last summer, the crowds were just magnificent. <laughs> Everybody was there to laugh and pack it out and have a great time. So it feels like we're almost in a wild west again, like theater, comedy wise. Yes, like I be 
I, I would say that the crowds that that I've done in Philly are, are similar. Like people really want to be out, really want to be sh seeing shows. So if you got to try out your like weirdest, dumbest, like wildest idea, a thing that you thought like pre-pandemic, this could never possibly work. Um, pre the weirdness of adapting to internet comedy, which you still do and do well. Um, what is that one thing? Like my thought is like, there's, there, there are these periods in art when people are just like dying for art so much. And, and it feels like there's some sort of collective existential threat. Um, we see it in music history. We see it in visual art. Um, we see it in, in movement and theater, broadly speaking that as soon as we all emerge from some sort of collective existential dread, trauma, world conflict, um, that the world is willing to just give more things a try. Um, certainly in Philly, like there's lots of weird shit happening right now that would not have happened in like 2015 because all of the things that were there worked like that was um gosh the era of um like very conventional like things on the 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 improv side like things looked like whose line is it anyway and looked like looked like um most every improv special that has worked um things in in stand-up looked very much stool stand and and water bottle um like the before before alt like alt comedy started to explode in New York in 2017 um as i think a reaction to um Trump and um some of the some of the scandals around like UCB and things um like something happened and then suddenly people are more open to trying things um do you do you have that one like idea in the back of your head that you're like, let's give that a shot or that'll never work, but n now feels like the right time. I, I feel what you're saying about the landscape being wild, wild west like, but that's the, to the other point that you said, it's people have been bold and experimenting and daring and going there. And there's something to be said for that. And I think the pandemic forced people to really look at their lives. We'll, we'll start there. Because how many people decided, I'm going to, it's now it's really time to shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to try comedy. Oh, I'm going to try improv. Oh, I'm going to try acting. And now people are finally giving it a chance and being bold. So you may be hearing some new voices and some may resonate stronger than others. Some may be lasting, some may not. And that's okay. At least we're all out here trying. And I think that's the best part. You're right about the alt comedy explosion because- I used to, non ironically and not always high, watch Tim and Eric. And it's always <laughs> said. All the shows, all the shows. Yeah. And then to see all of a sudden people are saying their influences, I'm like, yo, there's room for this. And then all of a sudden you look up on SNL and here's Sarah Sherman. I'm like, wow, body horror comedy? Yes. So I, I love the bold steps that people are taking. And I yeah. think, you know, when music kind of got decentralized from 
the big companies, the big record labels not having so much control over artists and their masters and they're going more independent. I think uh. comedy is doing that in a huge way. Look at Andrew Schultz and his special he put out on YouTube because Netflix yeah. said it was too controversial. Uh, look at what Earthquake did this year, thanks to Dave Chappelle on Netflix. Finally, uh. talk about somebody who's been consistently super funny for 30 plus years. Phenomenal special. Ali Sadiq on YouTube, same thing. Phenomenal special. So for comedy, comedians, the bigger names, to have the range, to have the skill and the stories and the pool, are able to, to corner this, to have their own market, to be more independent. And I think that's where I think that's where things are gonna stay. I don't think there's ever gonna be some other big company that's gonna come out and say, hey, all you guys get under our umbrella. I don't think everybody is just rushing to be like, oh, I want to drive our, or, oh, I want a Comedy Central. You can have it, but it's how you're going to get there. You know, um, it's a fun, I think it's a fun landscape, and I see more opportunities for things to happen and grow and, and new ideas and things to be fresh than than anything else. I think that outweighs any of the cons. I will acknowledge, I did not know... Um... I did not know his work until I saw the special and I was like, this is incredible. Um, I think one of the things that we forget is that this is now just finally this person's time and the start of that, but it represents only one point in time in the timeline of all of the craft that they've been doing for so long. Yeah. One of the things that, that those formats don't have the the time to teach us is that all all of the 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 hours and days and weeks months years of craft i i hadn't been writing for three weeks or so and that's bad on me bad erica but i had a whole bunch of voiceover stuff going on so i couldn't you know work your day job do your voiceover so go to sleep so yeah, i didn't yeah. have the time to devote to it but yeah, I just yeah. turned on uh, Earthquake Compilation, and it had so many hits from him doing so many topical jokes from back the tsunami in 2004, talking about stuff in 2001, talking about the Obama election in 2008. And I'm sitting here thinking, this man's had it whole time. It was beyond, I got memories of watching Comic View with my mom as a teenager and just loving it. And there was a joke that he made that I'll never forget because I think it's on the horizon when he said, I want to put my hair in my mama name. And I, <laughs> just knowing how punchy he is, how just a tag monster he is. Uh, his special These Ain't Jokes was one of the only times me and my ex-husband agreed on who's very funny. <laughs> and <laughs> he's just he's just a beast with it he's a beast with it and even yeah. that's sitting there trying to watch and be like yeah he tagged that he tagged that he tagged that 38 times okay all right you have taking line. notes but it's just like watch the man in session that just enjoy it was awesome so awesome um i want to pivot a little bit um i want to talk a little bit more about internet comedy um because that was how we met um, we, um, worked on, on a little project, uh, called off mic comedy school. So many, well, it feels like so many years ago. Um, what was internet comedy like for you? What, what, 
what was uh, I'll rephrase because you still do internet comedy, and there there are many of the the alumni of that that project who are who are still doing internet comedy and doing it well. Um, others translating, and some of them also also translating to the stage. But um, as as you identified, but tell me tell me what those of us who did transition towards internet comedy what was that experience like for you as someone who already was doing comedy and then made the decision to at least give it a try the very first time i tried internet comedy was march of 2020 when i had just returned to shanghai from spending a month in chicago uh, as teachers, we were getting let go for Chinese New Year, and we were told by one of the administrators, be prepared to come back online when we start back up. So uh. we knew something was going to happen. Within those two weeks, my great uh, aunt had died, and they had a funeral. Kobe had died, and then we found out yes. COVID was a real thing. That doctor yes. was not making stuff up the doctor that died from it he was yeah all of a sudden he was a martyr and i am chain smoking orange coffee flavor korean cigarettes out my window <laughs> not caring if it's airport or not but i'm like ain't no way in hell i'm gonna be a sitting up in yeah. shanghai china i gotta get home how am i gonna do that so it cost 450 dollars for the first one-way ticket over there it was going to cost me $3,600 to go one way. And I said, okay, no, we're not going to do this. Spent about a week and a half coasting through every emotion under the moon every day, bribing my boyfriend on Messenger, and I came home on Valentine's Day of 2020, surprise him. Um, when I came back just after St. Patrick's Day, uh, I was immediately placed into quarantine. I was... <laughs> Had to get off of the plane, go to a testing center, get testing with the room, sit there for six to eight hours, and then go on a bus back to the place and immediately get ushered upstairs by a nurse who put us in. Since you're on your door and say, hey, I'm coming by every day to check your temperature. Uh, that forced me to do virtual comedy for the first time. I had set something up where I was hosting an open mic, my Hey Now Comedy open mic. From my yeah. apartment in Shanghai, my buddies were down at the location in Shanghai, and then we had a few comedy buddies in Chicago join us and yeah. do some sets. So even then, I was like, let's do this. I was planning on doing that already, but I had to do it from my apartment. And that was yeah. that was my first introduction to it, and I said, yeah, this is, this is what's going to be happening. I loved it. When I came home and, you know, started working with Off Mic, because Off Mic... As soon as I even got online, started doing virtual comedy, off off mic was one of the first things. And I'm so grateful that 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 you guys said, "Hey, let's get this funny lady on team." I'm like, "All right, come." And that started opening up even more doors. Yeah. I did uh, the Flappers uh, Super Bowl, the Flappers Uncle Clyde's contest. Uh, I won the Super Bowl in October 2020, sitting on boxes in my old apartment. <laughs> When you come back from all that and you got to start over, baby, you got to start somehow on this yeah. laptop sitting on the box, cutting, telling them jokes. So, like, it just really opened up a whole new world to me and helped me connect and network with so many mm -hmm. cool comedians from all over the country, let alone the world. Um, 
and it's been a great experience. So even though there's those folks who say, oh, it's not the same, it's not the same, we know it's not the same, but no. I've been able to do some sets where it felt the same, where I had the crowd loving it, where it's been a hundred people in the room and they enjoyed it. I've yeah. seen advanced super pro comedians had me almost pee sitting watching them do a virtual show. It's there. Yeah. It's a very viable medium. I don't think it's going any. People just got to embrace it. It, um, one of the things that just occurred to me to you saying that it, it represents a further democratization of comedy because now you're talking about people who, for whatever reason, choose or are prevented from getting into the club, from working the crawl of the open mics. And it's, it's a wild west again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, of a couple of our, a couple of our colleagues. I'm thinking of, um, uh, uh, Kyra Barron, uh, uh, who, who talks a lot about accessibility and comedy. I'm thinking about, uh, uh, Huang, who, who talks about like doing comedy in, in a non-native language. Just, yeah. Um, and once again, um, the the opportunity for comedy to do new things because more people can access it. Absolutely. And I got to say, Fu is one of my favorite people in life because we met in Shanghai. And Fu did my, my open mic. And we met and I was like, oh, yay. And we kept in touch. And then we met again through off mic. And I was like, ah! So I'm so happy for her and all the cool stuff that she's got going. It's it's my intention slowly um, to to get all all of our all of our great um, alumni. Um, I was just I was just chatting with actually Che the um, today um, and and um, but I'm I'm assuming since you're taping with me now, you haven't secretly recorded um, a viral audition on America's Got Talent, have you? Because. Because when she and when when her and I recorded, she had already taped Australia's Got Talent and like kept it stone cold, like stone faced the entire time, did, um and and said nothing. So uh, you 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 haven't you haven't just spent like ten minutes like with 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 Simon and uh, and and Howie and and Heidi and and Melby, have you? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Always next year, I guess. Maybe one day. Still a little iffy about that. I mean, I love me some Simon. I think we get along fabulous. I've agreed with ninety nine percent of his choices throughout the year. <laughs> who are the um? Who are the who? Who are the one percent that you were like, uh, uh-uh, uh, or no way? I was not a Carrie Underwood fan. I thought both by should have won now. Constantine should have been third place. That's just my opinion. And boy, yeah, star power. That's why you saw him on Broadway after all of that. That was the Melinda Doolittle season, if I'm not mistaken. Melinda, woo! Simon was big on Melinda, and I hated that, you know, she didn't win. But yes, I love Simon. Hi, Simon. <laughs> There was there was the tiniest fleeting moment where I was like I was entertaining the idea of like a bus trip to 
LA to go audition for the show and to just like sit in like the walk on line and be like Korean Frank Sinatra or something to that effect. About to go get him with the dulcet tones. Huh? Some something like that. Um, but I, I'll settle. I'll settle for the occasional. Uh, this is NPR. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're just about at the end of our time. I I want to cover a, just a couple more things um, that that are very near and dear to me. Um, what is your what is your morning routine like? Is there is there coffee? A lot of coffee involved. I, you know, college helped me grow a really bad addiction to coffee. Yeah. Really bad. Like, doing a whole, boasting a whole pot for mint color and just, it was not healthy. I was skinnier back then. I had a lot of energy. I was a little hot, tight body, something cute. But I was not, I did not need to be sitting with, arresting heartbeat like i just ran a 5k so yeah i i cycle <laughs> myself on and off coffee uh typically actually don't even touch it until after 11 a.m my routine is when i wake up in the morning unfortunately i grab this thing and i need to yeah. stop yeah um i'd like to wean myself off of not reaching for it until the first hour of the day but when uh. i start my day i give thanks a lot of gratitude. I pray. I meditate. I do what I got to do to get myself right. Set my intentions for the day. And yeah. I stay busy. So there's always a little notepad by me. Not just for the jokes that come to mind every so often. Yeah. My yeah. apartment is covered with notebooks. Yeah. Um, But I just, you know, write list of three things I got to get done today to feel productive and feel like I've done something or been are important. And then I just kind of let my day happen. Nice. I I work a lot, which is why I let my day happen. But yeah, unfortunately for me, I got to a point where I had been doing so many shows and just really hadn't had any considerable time off. I think December before last. Yeah, last December I only had like two shows, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm chilling. Literally taking the last week off and doing nothing but edibles. <laughs> but uh, this time i had a few shows and then half of them got canceled and i was like look yeah. i got all this i got the voice that was going on i gotta do the me time so i try to make sure at least once or twice a week there is erica time there is self-care time there is run the bath run the bubble bath turn on selection get them good beats in your ear that little funk that jazz light some candles or just don't do anything. Just don't move. Forget the fall. Forget everything. Just just be. My mind is crazy. I spend most of my days in there. Is this anything? Is this anything? Is this anything? No, it's not. Stop. Turn yeah. it off. The comedy will happen. Just relax and be. So that's where I'm at these days. You're funny. Like uh, but like I, I don't I don't say that um on the fan space, but it's like those of us that have been doing comedy for a long time, it's like we wouldn't keep doing it, like, if we weren't actually funny, right? Like, that 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 space of what, what I think I hear you saying is, like, at some point you have to learn to trust yourself and to trust your, to trust your voice um, so that you can just move the fuck on and, like, and get down to the real writing and, and the, the real work of 
of doing it. There, to give you an example of that, I've been on my own case so hard and up my own butt about why did you write? Why did you write? Why did you stop? Stop. And I got to the Black Women in Comedy Web Fest and uh-huh. I did my usual bits for the first couple shows. And then we had a late night Saturday night show, Hotels. Yeah. So you know what was going to go down. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not going to sit here and drive myself crazy about what I'm going to do. There's a story that I just told at Lincoln Lodge a couple months ago. I got my notes and then it's going with. And then I went ahead and I did that and I had them in stitches. Yeah. And I had the headliner say, you a piece. You, that's thing. And I was thank you. But I was so shook after that. Finally trusting myself in a yeah. high state situation. A midnight Saturday at, at New York Comedy Club winging it when I was in the moment. Like like we said, I just let it happen naturally. I experienced the thing. I remember those emotions and those feelings. I took them there. Lydia yeah. Prom was laughing super hard. I'm like, my sister, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. mentioned dimming the lights, lighting the candles, putting the mood music on. That D'Angelo and his one brother was like, that's that's your jam, ain't it? How does it feel? How does it feel? And that was the tape that I submitted for the fest again. So I'm going back in June. So that was me trusting myself, getting rid of the noise, getting rid of the clutter. Because when you're out here and you got a social media following, you want to be seen. Not everybody's kind to you. Not everybody's yeah. nice to you. Yeah. Not everybody thinks you're funny. And then when you get, I'm here in this community, Chicago and the suburbs have just an awesome comedy community. I couldn't ask to be around a better group of people. But there's always a hater or two. Yeah. Tell these other thousands of people that they got it. There or it is. Keep it to yourself. Well, thank you for your feedback, but I'm going to keep doing it. There it is. Quick speed round. Um, any thoughts about the relaunching-ish of Second City and IO? Do you, do you feel any of the ripple of that? IO is back up and running. I am going to go do a show there in three, two, three weeks. Um, but I know that the director is going full throttle. Um, yeah. And they have a lot more offerings. They revamped the space. It's so beautiful in there. And it's, again, Chicago's got the IO, the Annoyance right. Theater. in And, right. of course, Second City being one of the meccas. Um, we have so many cool spaces to come practice, to come do the art and such a supportive system. So I'm excited for them and what they got going on. Uh, Rachel Mason is over there killing it. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so I'm excited about what they got going on and what's going to come out. Lou Malnati's or Giordano's or none of the above? Giordano's. I got to get it good and goopy with the cheese. They do it right. (laughs) They do it right. Lou Malnati's. It's the bite don't feel right to me. The bite ain't. I need to feel my teeth go through the crust, just the doughy, mm, buttery good crust, and, and Giordano's delivered. Is Intelligentsia everything that it's hyped to be, or is it a little overrated? The coffee? Yeah. Overhyped. Yeah? Yeah, there's a lot of other. I mean, that's good. There's another brand I just had, it was Dragon Tears, was the brand or something. <laughs> I forget, but it, I I'll have to like find it and link it to you. It was amazing. Um, we had a lot of cool 
you know, coffee shops around. Yeah. We have one last question for you. Same question we ask everybody as we're finishing up. And that is, what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it? I want the world to look like a more compassionate, more empathetic place. And even if people don't have the, the wiring <laughs> to be that we know sometimes some people don't have the yeah, biology. It ain't very true. there for them. The chemicals ain't going to let it happen. And that's okay. But just to just think about, you know, that person probably doesn't look like all their experiences. Huh. Give them the benefit of the doubt and treat them as a person. That's that's the thing I want to leave with people. Just be good to each other. It's not a bad way. Erica, so good to see you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Polly. So good to see you reconnect. My thanks to my guest, Erica Switzer. Check out her website, ericaswitzer.com, and follow her on YouTube at Erica Switzer. Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in Southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. Our associate producer for this episode was Willa Jaffe. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find us. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Uncommon Good Pod. Follow us there for closed captioned video content and more goodies. We do love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on social media or an email at UncommonGoodPod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good.